Uh, isn't it great? I can never get over when you have anointed worship leaders, you feel, you forget yourself, you know, you get transported into a spiritual worship of the Lord and you forget where you are almost. I, it happens to me every time, but it takes people who are filled with the Holy Spirit leading us. Good morning, everybody. You're awake, huh? I figured you wouldn't show up this morning, but I guess just to make up for your lunch or breakfast. Hey, yeah, thank you. Oh, he's aggressive. I fear him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a good man. I, I really respect him. The only thing that bothers me about him, and this is a personal thing, and my wife will beat me up for it. He, yeah, there you go. Look at this. Look, look at this. Doesn't this look like a purse to you? Uh-huh. Uh, hey, I'm all for purses. Every Christmas I buy my wife one, but not Dave, whatever his name is, you know. Did Indiana Jones ever carry a purse? I don't watch movies. Oh, he, uh -huh. well, just so you know, this is called a satchel. Can you repeat after me? P-U-R-S-E. Yeah, satchel. Hey, there's nothing wrong. I just want to point it out that he has a what, why is he so defensive about it? That's my question. Yeah, I love you, buddy. Yeah, in spite of who you are. Yeah. Anyway, amazing grace that saved a wretch like him. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. When I stand by my wife, no more speeches from you. I got the mic now. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. When I stand by my wife and we sing Amazing Grace, I always change the words ever so slightly, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you. And she doesn't like it. I mean, how come we can sing it about ourselves, but when somebody next to you says like you, hey, 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 you know, speak for yourself, you know. Well, rejoice. Uh, I've got to watch it because... Uh, Mike Romberg, the director, is around here somewhere, and I fear these men, you know? I mean, they're godly people, but they can knock you off with one word, you know? And so I'm going to be very careful. But it's been a joy to shake hands with so many of you, many of you longtime friends. I was going to say old, but I meant long time, yeah? Same difference. It just feels better. And uh, it's, uh, it's been good. I met a fellow that I've known from the first summer a pastor by the name of Ray Stedman brought me here. His name is John. And he was standing here when everybody was leaving. I had this massive beard. Are you here, John, this morning? He's the kind who doesn't get it. Oh, there he is at the door. There you go. He is unique. And uh, almost like Dave here. And uh, he had this beard, and he was standing here, and I thought, should I know that guy? I mean, I've known him since 1961 when he was a high schooler. And, uh, and it turned out to be, I had to look at him in the eyes because the beard covers his face, you know. I don't know why he covers it. There must be a reason. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, John, don't, don't, no remarks from you either. Uh-huh. He, these guys are outspoken. They think they own the service, you know. But anyway, I finally looked at his eyes and I, it's John. I've known him for 60 years. Can you believe that? I mean, that's really something. Anyway, he's here. Sit down, John. Don't walk out on me. He, uh, he likes to stand at the door and knock. And, uh, but uh, anyway, about the book, I didn't know I was supposed to sign. I'll go if somebody puts a jacket on me. Uh, you know, I came from Oregon thinking I'm going to warm up in California. Yeah, nice and warm over here. I'm going back home tomorrow. No, 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 Monday, Monday. But 
the book is called Palau, A Life on Fire. I want you to know I didn't put the title to the book, you know. Come and read my book. I'm on fire, you know. Uh, the publisher called it that. So I'd be glad to sign it for you. When I got my cancer, a publisher called up and said, would you like to write a new last biography since you're on your way? And uh, I said, forget biographies. They've got about five on me, and I'm up to here with them, you know, same old stuff. And, uh, but I said, I'd like to write a book that glorifies the Lord by telling about people that influenced my life since I was a little boy, a little boy, into my old age. And it, most of the people nobody knows about, except Billy Graham and Ray Steadman and Major Ian Thomas. All the others is my mom and my dad and a missionary who's buried in the southernmost uh, part of the world, the southernmost Argentina. And so I feel we honored the Lord by honoring those who bless my life from a little boy to even to old age. So that's what it's about. And I might bless you, but it's up to you. I'm not selling it. They are, you know, I don't pay California taxes. So that's it. Yeah. But to compensate for the book, I'll give you this one. Uh, there were some back there, but I think they disappeared. It's called Here I Am, Lord. And it's a, a beautiful song and just a little booklet as a, as a gift to you uh, if you can't afford the big book. Anyway, so this morning I better get on with it. It's 10.07 already. And uh, I want to enjoy with you a thought that I, uh, really blessed me through the years. We were having a campaign in Mexico City. In those days, Mexico was really tough on proclamation of Christianity of any kind. Catholic priests were not allowed to wear their garb. Catholic nuns were not allowed to wear their garb. Evangelical pastors were not citizens of the country, actually. You couldn't vote if you're a priest or a pastor. That's how tough Mexico was. Now it's changed a lot, and there's much more freedom to proclaim the gospel if you can avoid the mafia and all that along the way. But uh, otherwise, uh, it's, it's quite free. But we were all ready to go. We had the baseball park right downtown Mexico City. Uh, everybody was ready. The excitement, it hadn't happened since the revolution of 1912. And so, all everybody excited. Uh, we, well, I won't go into unnecessary details. We were ready to go. The publicity all over Mexico City. And suddenly, two days before, the government calls up and says, where's that guy Palau? We're going to arrest him. He's a foreigner. He's in here without a permit. True. And uh, he's going to have this campaign. We're going to put him in jail. I, ha I hid in a hotel room of one of the singers who was going to sing. And we lived in Mexico, but the authorities didn't know it. You've got to learn these things. When you're a missionary, you don't act like you're in New York. Well, maybe New York, but, uh, you know, I mean, other parts of the country. And uh, so they canceled us out. And we had spent money and everything. And I, I thought, this is the great moment where I'm going to be preaching to crowds in Mexico. I went to bed, and for three weeks, I just had a temperature that we couldn't explain. And I just read the Gospel of John in every translation I had in English and Spanish. And suddenly I came to John chapter 12, and the Lord perked me up because I said, Lord, we've been praying for months. We put this thing together. Are you trying to tell me that it was a mistake? Are you punishing me? Are you trying to, what are you trying to do? And I think later, I think what the Lord was saying, yeah, I'll give you a chance in Mexico. Well, first, I'm going to puncture your balloon in case you think you're hot stuff. And I think the Lord had me in bed for three weeks. And then I came upon this passage that we'll focus in a little bit this morning. But I want to read three passages from the Bible. I hope you don't mind, you know. This is a Bible conference, and they have a tendency to 
open the Bible. They're weird people, you know. And uh, so, now get that off the tape. Somebody is going to think I'm a heretic. Anyway, let, have you, if you have your Bible, open it. If not, just listen if you can hear. And uh, so, let's go to first, Second Timothy chapter 2, which is what we left off last night, sort of. And uh, just the first five verses, the first passage, is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy and encouraging Timothy. And uh, it, it talks about uh, great plans for the future. Okay, look at verse 1. It says, You then, my son, 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight in all this. Now, just before we move on to another reading, look at the three pictures that the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit gives to Timothy. First, a soldier, a goal-conscious person. A soldier is to obey his commanding officer to win the battle, to win the war, to defend the nation, or whatever the battle is about. A very goal-conscious individual. Secondly, an athlete. An athlete also is a goal-conscious person. They want to win a crown. And you know, the Bible talks about nine different crowns in the New Testament. Some people say, well, that's a low-level ambition. Well, the Lord knows that we are motivated by awards and by crowns. And he said, uh, uh, an athlete wants to win and win a crown. In 1 Corinthians 9, St. Paul says five times, win, 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 win. So winning spiritually is one of God's, God's purposes for all of us, no matter what our age may be. So an athlete wants to win. He is a goal-conscious person. He doesn't just run around in circles. He wants to win the 100-yard dash or the mile or whatever it is. And then the third one is the hard-working farmer. Again, a farmer works hard. There's one over here that I met last night, and he's got 15,000 acres and 500 head of cattle. Uh, believe me, this man works hard, and he looks tired. Uh -huh. no, 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 he's a tough old farmer. But, uh, you know, a farmer works hard, but his goal is, hey, I want some fat cows that I can sell, make some money. I want some corn to grow so I can eat with my family and make a few bucks for retirement and to go to Mount Hermon and listen to Louis Palui, you know. And uh, so uh, I, 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 a farmer has a goal. He wants that field to produce. He wants those cows to reproduce. He wants to eat from it and also make a few dollars on it. So what the, 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 the theme today is the gold consciousness of following the Lord and having great dreams. Now, second reading. I hope you don't mind. And even if you do, we're going to do it. It's in John chapter 14. The Lord Jesus himself, the night before he went to the cross, 
And he's talking to his disciples in what the theologians call the upper room discourse. And in chapter 14, let's just look at a few verses beginning with verse 10. The Lord is speaking to them. And think, keep in mind that business of goal consciousness and dreaming great dreams. He says, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now, this is the Lord Jesus speaking of himself as a human person, which he became through the Blessed Virgin Mary. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And here comes, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as helpless orphans. I will come to you. Let's stop right there. I want you to notice these three things before we move to the last reading, which is kind of an interesting one in the Old Testament. The first thing the Lord says in verse 12, I feel, is what the Lord said to me that day in Mexico City and cheered me up. Dream great dreams. And plan great plans because I am going to the Father. And even we old timers, and some of you are like me, even we old timers are supposed to dream great dreams. Not only because the Lord says it in Acts chapter 2. You remember when the Holy Spirit came down and St. Peter gets up and starts speaking. And I read it again this morning and I'll... uh, I'll just read it to you again. Just read it to you without you having to look it up. He says, in the last days, some of us are in our last days ourselves. History, we don't know exactly when the last days are coming. They're coming. They seem to be getting closer too. But in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. The young ones will see visions. And this one I like coming up. The old timers will dream dreams. Not those fearful dreams at night that the drugs produce on you. You know, where you think somebody's trying to rape you or something. No, no. These are dreams of God that he gives to all of us. He'll dream dreams. Old timers. The young ones see visions. The old timers can dream dreams. It's not over yet, boys and girls, huh? It's not over yet. 85 years seems like a lot, but really in the light of eternity is one little blip, you know, in history. We are as young as we'll ever be. I mean, I don't mean the silly thing. You're as young as you think you are. Don't be dumb. You're old, you know. You're not young. <laughs> not, not what you think you are. But, but, but I'm talking about eternity now and spiritual things. The Lord challenges all of us at whatever age. 
uh, dream great dreams. Then secondly, in verses uh, uh, 12, uh, yeah, 13 and 14, and he says, pray great prayers. He says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. In other words, pray great prayers because God loves to hear great prayers and he loves to answer them to the glory of God the Father. Say, so even at our age, some of us, the Lord can use you by obeying and seeing, dreaming great dreams for his glory, praying great prayers for his glory, and then thirdly, in verse uh, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Obey my great commands. And that's the secret of great dreams coming to pass, followed up by great prayers, and then obedience. And when we obey, things begin to happen, even in old age. I, I ask forgiveness from you middle-aged people. My wife said to me, you keep talking about the old people. There are middle-aged people in there too. You don't want them to fall asleep on you. Okay, so for you who are young, I like you. You're one of the two in town here. And uh, you guys who are young, it's for you too. You know, where we can dream great dreams in the presence of God Almighty. We can follow it up with strong prayers and then obey as the Lord gives us an opportunity so that we can see the fruit of it to the glory of God the Father. The last reading is from uh, Joshua chapter 14. And it's old Caleb. You remember some of you who study the Bible a lot. Uh, you remember that there were only two peoples who survived the 40 years in the desert. Not Moses. Moses went off before they crossed into the promised land. Joshua, and who's the other one? Caleb, hey, some of you must be Bible study fellowship people. Yeah, huh? They know the Bible better than anybody else. Anyway, uh, so this is Caleb in chapter 14. They're about to enter. They've entered the promised land, and now he goes to, jo to Joshua, and they're the two buddies who were left from all the million, three, about four million people, you estimate, who left Egypt. Only two were left that were in Egypt when they sent checking out the land. And look at verse, uh, let's see, verse 8 of 14. Now, when the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilead, Gilgal, Caleb, son of something or other, uh, Kenesite, said to him, and now we're going to skip, uh, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him fruit from the land according to my convictions. And my brothers who went with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Okay, let's jump to verse uh, 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time that he said to Moses, while Israel was moving about in the desert. So here I am today, listen to this, 85 years old. I'm as still as, old, as strong as I was on the day that Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised to me that day. You yourself heard then that the Amalekites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 
I like that. 85 years old. It kind of resonates with me. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm 85 years old. And I'm just as strong as I was then. Probably if his wife was there, she would say, forget it, Caleb. You know, <laughs> you think you are, but you really aren't. But however, his spirit was right. He said, that mountain was promised to me. It was a set of mountains, actually. He said, give them to me like the Lord promised, and I will take them. You know, that's the spirit that I think I want this weekend to send us all home, wherever you live, with the same attitude of confidence in our Lord. Yes, the old body doesn't respond like it used to. That's okay. We know that's going to happen. But spiritually, we can have great dreams, great prayers, and great obedience so that even in old age, we can rejoice and end up our career, not somehow, but victoriously in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, the, the, there is a, a confusion that we will try and clarify as soon as we're over, and it's this. Service for the Lord is not so much what makes you happy, cheerful, and contented. Service for the Lord has a special pleasure but the joy of the Christian life is not service as much as living in Christ, rejoicing in him every day, building up your faith. People nowadays, because of my illness at old age, they interview me a lot. If you want to be interviewed, get cancer. It's amazing. You know, suddenly everybody wants to talk to you. And uh, one of the ending questions almost every time is, what is your legacy? And then they say... Uh, how do you finish well? I said, I don't know. I haven't finished yet. You know, uh, I'll let you know once I'm dead. And, uh, but uh, that's facetious. But in fact, uh, you finish well. And they often say, what's the secret of finishing well? That's the phrase. I said, who said it was a secret? You know, the Bible says, hey, let me tell you a secret. When you're old and you want to finish well, here, listen to this. You know, uh, all you do the last day of your life is what you should have done for the last 85 years, you know, worship the Lord, spend time with him, pray for those of you that, for those that he lays on your heart, just finish the day like you finished any other day. That's how you finish well. It ain't no secret. It's just an open fact. But anyway, the first thing I wanted to point out here is this. When you are in the presence of God, the one thing the Lord is saying in this passage is, Whoever continues to believe in me, because in the Greek it's continuous present tense, will do the same works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That has caught my attention from the get-go. I used to read it as a teenager and I couldn't get it. Now I think I get it. It's the, the Holy Spirit came down. And when we work, you and I, wherever the corner of the world the Lord has put us, we are part of the great body of Jesus Christ around the world. And the blessed Holy Spirit that indwells us, the blessed Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us in the fellowship of the church and that as one body, we as a church do enormous things. The Lord Jesus contained himself just to Israel. Israel is such a tiny piece of land. Some of you have been there. You know, it's so tiny in an airplane. You, you, you hardly take off and you're through you're in Jordan. Or if you go from south to north, it's only 100 miles. You know, even in a car, you get it over with some of you. The speedy little cars that I see here. You know, you could get over from north to south on a freeway in, in an hour. 
if you go 100 miles an hour. Israel is so tiny. Jesus just stayed in Israel. He never left. But he sent us into the whole world. And when you think about dreaming great dreams, when the Lord Jesus said just before he went back to heaven, and he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all people. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever doesn't believe will not be saved. That's a big vision. The whole world, Lord? Yes, the whole world. Every tribe, every nation, every people. That's the vision that we believers have. I remember when uh, uh, globalism became the word. Now it's gotten boring. But uh, in Argentina, they asked me, uh, what do you think about globalism and so on? I said, well, our master was the one who invented it. You know? And they said, the press said, what do you mean? Jesus, yeah, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He was the first one that announced that the whole world was the objective of the church of Jesus Christ. And you know, you and I as individuals have to bring it down to where we are. So one, one our pastor in our church who, my wife, when she was a little girl, came to know the Lord through her mother, but also the influence of the pastor and his wife. And he worked in our church almost 40 years, and then he retired. And I remember Mrs., uh, uh, whatever her name was. Anyway, my great friend. Uh, she uh, said, you know, one great thing about retiring is now I have so much time to pray and intercede for other people. And I said, oh, Mrs. Wallen, pray for me. Put me on your list. I mean, to think of the wife of a godly pastor who's worked all her life in the church, knows my wife since she was a little girl, loved us, sent us to the mission field, supported us, prayed, visited on the mission field. A woman like that, you want them to pray for you. And you know, uh, that's a vision when she said, now I can spend so much more time. And I found that to be true myself. You know, now that I don't travel, well, one of our boys does the big campaigns and I watch it on the internet, you know, you can watch it live, you know. He was in Egypt last week and you sit there and you cry like a baby. My boy, the little creepy boy who, uh, uh, who, who caused so much trouble and H-E-double-L to the family till he finally got converted at age 28. There he is in Egypt. Egypt, preaching Jesus Christ. Man, you become like a baby. But you sit in your house and I say to myself, I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore. Isn't that strange? I mean, it was my life. And now that the Lord has said, shut it down, I can sit there and pray and feel like I was there before Andrew arrived on an airplane. I was already praying for Egypt. I've been there 25 years ago. And you're praying. And, and, and you can be part of that too. You can, in the presence of God as a woman, as a man or as a couple, together, choose before the Lord. Lord, what shall we do with these years of our life? Not just sit and walk the little creepy dog in the neighborhood and, you know, and check out the window if there are any strangers in the neighborhood, that kind of stuff. But rather say, I want a bigger picture, Lord. I'm one of the old ones. I want to dream great dreams. Not just sit here feeling sorry for myself. How shall I do? pray and the Lord will show you. And put on your heart some, some ministry that you can be connected with, that you can pray for, that you might even take a trip and be part of it. Uh, Andrew was in China at Christmas time. And uh, he was one of the few foreigners allowed to preach this last year in China itself. And a bunch of old friends, not old middle age, uh, friends of Andrew's and ours went with him and they were just so turned on at seeing the Christian believers faithful even in the midst of heavy difficult times. But the Lord will guide you and lay on your heart a great dream of how God can use you in a big way for the glory of his name. And you know the Lord will open doors that you never expected 
And even in old age, you will be fruitful, it says in the book of Psalms. Yes, the Lord wants us to be fruitful and not just vegetate waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for the second coming, but we're serving the Lord in the meantime while we're there. And you know, when you do, the Lord will show you the way. We were in Costa Rica, Central America some years ago, and a fellow was converted who is now one of the better known pastors in all of Central America. His name is Raul Vargas. And he was just, he and his dad and brothers, uh, the dad was a really typical old-fashioned Latin guy from the old days. And uh, he, listen, this is really true. You, you will find it hard to believe me. You know how many, how many children he fathered? 62. 62. He's a real man. In Latin America, I say, that's a man, you know. Yeah, 62 children, poor women having to take care of all those children, you know. I don't know who all they were. But he, the, this fellow Vargas had his dad and two brothers worked in a dry cleaners. And we came in and had a campaign in a bull ring in San Jose. And he drifted in because it said free music and free message on how to have a happy home. So he thought, our home isn't happy. I'm going to figure out what this guy's got. He walks in. He sits. I begin to preach. The Holy Spirit touched him. And he walks forward to confess the Lord. And an old girlfriend suddenly walks up to him. And he got distracted, you know. So he never talked to a counselor because his old girlfriend stopped him. And I, she wasn't a Christian. She was just in the audience too. He gets on a bus. And it was full of the choir, the campaign choir. And they were singing in the bus. So he started singing. He had a good singing voice. And uh, he'd never even been to Mass in the Catholic Church. He was a Catholic, but only by name only. And uh, he began to sing. And one old lady in the choir said, Young man, you sing so well. Why aren't you in the choir? And who, in, who authorized her to offer the choir, you know? And uh, he said, well, what shall I do? She said, oh, come early tomorrow and just bring a white shirt and you can sit in the choir. So he did. He showed up and he sat with the choir. He wasn't even nothing. He didn't know what he was doing. But the Holy Spirit got him. He was converted. A pastor took him under his wing, discipled him, sent him to Bible school. He be began to open, have open-air campaigns in San Jose. Now he's got a church of 12,000 people. And they've started like 80 congregations in Central America and even in New Jersey. And you know, yeah, New Jersey, Costa Ricans live there. And uh, I said to him, hey, uh, uh, Raul, what did the Lord tell you? How did you feel such confidence so young? Because he was only 21 when he went in the, that meeting. Uh, and he said, you know, the Lord said two things to me. Do whatever I tell you. And number two, stay out of my way. And he said, I've lived by those two principles that the Lord laid on my heart as was a young fellow being discipled by that. Do whatever I tell you and stay out of my way. And you know, that's a good principle. We let the Holy Spirit do in us and through us what he wants. But I want to encourage you this weekend to think in those terms that you can dream great dreams and let the Holy Spirit work in you. You know, one thing about China that has thrilled me since the first time I went there in 2000, I think it was, they have a saying in, in, in the, the Christians in China have a saying that says, in Jerusalem by 2030, that's 10 years from now. When I met them, it was 30 years ahead in the year 2000. In Jerusalem by 2030. And you know, there are thousands of Christians in China, I hope I'm alive to see it, who believe that God is going to use China 
to bless Israel in a special way. Uh, uh, the vision is spread among the Christians in China. Some of you probably know it and have heard it already. But to me, it was a real challenge to think that thousands and thousands, maybe millions, there's about 110 million Bible-believing Christians in China. And when you say you're a Bible-believing Christian, you really know what you're saying. You don't do that just for fun in China. You know, you don't say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, uh, no, you just, yeah. but they all claim to be followers of Jesus and they mean it. But by 2030, Jerusalem, it'd be great if some of you are alive, send me a telegram in heaven huh? and tell me, hey, they did it. The Chinese did it. They're in Jerusalem. They are convinced that somehow God wants to use China and Chinese Christians to bless the nation of Israel. What an interesting concept. But you know, that's a big vision. And you know, that keeps many of the Christians in China under great pressure, nevertheless excited because they believe God has his hand on them and they have a grand purpose as Chinese Christians to evangelize the Middle East focused on Israel. We'll see what happens, but it sure is the kind of vision that the Lord loves to hear because God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2. God doesn't want just a few to be saved. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen to that? Amen. You better. You mean it? You mean it? You're young. Yeah? You do too, huh? Yeah, good. He's not too excitable, but are you, 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 you work for Intel? You're an engineer? No. Engineers are quiet. Yeah. Hey, I won't put you in the spot again. Just in five minutes. Yeah. So, you know, when the Lord speaks to you, and he lays on your heart something that's large. I remember the fa one of the presidents of Wheaton College, who was also a missionary earlier in Ecuador, he had a statement that he said, when the Lord lays on your heart some great plan or great vision or great dream, don't tell anybody until the Holy Spirit gives you permission to tell them. Because even often your best friends and your family members are the first ones to pour ice water on you. You're going to go to Jerusalem. Are you nuts? You know, whoever told you you're that hot? What do you think you are? You know, it's really encouraging when people say something like that. You know, so only tell people your vision when the Holy Spirit gives you freedom to tell things like that. And it's really a good biblical principle, actually. It's between you and the Lord until the Lord chooses to break out and glorify himself through your ministry. But you pray and you learn to pray great prayers. And you know, when we're in harmony with the Lord, there's a famous verse in Psalm 37, 4. Some of you have known it by heart since you were in Sunday school. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Remember that one? And he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, say it with me. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, I heard the women. Now I want to hear the men. Come on, guys. Don't be little babies. Uh, say it with me, okay? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you may not even realize it. Of course, you're in the Word, or you wouldn't be delighting yourself in the Lord. You're in worship, and you're delighting yourself. You're prayer. And your thoughts become, or rather reverse, God's thoughts become your thoughts as you get saturated with the Word of God. And you know the principles of God revealed in Scripture. And your mind, you may not even realize it, but you begin to pray with God's principles 
and God's ways in your heart and in your mind and in your spirit. And so your prayers become prayers that already touch the heart of God because he touched you in the first place when you delighted you. So first he gives you the desires and then he gives you the desire that you desire when you ask for in prayer. I had a friend in Mexico City. I don't know why it's called Mexico today. Uh, Mexico City. He was a Jewish Christian leader of the Jewish community in Mexico City. Ed. He was born in Aleppo. If you've been reading the news, you know things are happening, awful things in Aleppo, Syria. And uh, a Jewish family, very successful, but he had no, no connection with Christianity, except that there's a lot of Christians in Aleppo, real believers, and it was for the last hundred years or more. But anyway, his nanny was a believer, a humble believer, who took care of Ed when he was a little fellow. And the mother worked, and the dad worked, and so the nanny... He said to me when shortly before he died about six years ago, he said, you know, my nanny was more like my, my mother than my mother. She loved me. She took care of me. She kissed me. She, she sang to me. And, and I didn't know this till the end of his life because Pat and I lived in Mexico City as missionaries. And uh, we befriended him thanks to another missionary. The Lord used us to disciple him because he needed to grow in the things of the Lord. And he did grow tremendously. But one day close to the end, he told me the story that the nanny, who was a believer in a Jewish home, would sing to him, pray with him, and talk to him about Jesus. And when she became old and suddenly she was ill, she said to him, and Ed was only 12 years old then, and he said, you know, Eddie, <laughs> Jesus is coming to get me, and I know he's going to take me home. I want to be sure that you come to heaven too. So a few days later, she was really in bad shape. And Ed loved her so much, she hugged her and had her in his arms. And the nanny said, here comes Jesus, Eddie. Bye-bye. And she took off. He never forgot it, of course. Then they moved to Mexico. The dad sent him to a college in the USA. Turned out to be a Christian college. And... An evangelist came who was a Jewish Christian evangelist, Hyman Appleman. Hyman is really Jewish, and Appleman apparently too. And uh, Hyman Appleman was a fired up old fellow. I never heard him. I met him in a Billy Graham thing when he was really old. And Hyman Appleman went, came to chapel, gave the gospel, gave an invitation, and Ed gave his life to the Lord. Now the family was very wealthy and he didn't grow as much as he could have. He felt called to be a missionary to the Middle East and he got into business instead. And at the end of his life, he was really, really felt it, feeling bad that he'd failed the Lord. And he said, Luis, I'm 72 and I failed the Lord. I didn't do what he called me to do in college. Uh, uh, do you think the Lord has forgiven me? Of course he forgave you, you know, the Lord. But one day when he was still young and in good shape, we were living in the States already. And he called me up and he said, Luis, I'm doing really good in business. Anytime you do television in Latin America, call me up and I'll send you a check for whatever you need. Man, every evangelist dreams of that, you know, <laughs> my kind of disciple. And uh, so anytime I needed money, but you won't believe it. How, how I always found it so hard to pick up, even though he's a buddy and I'm a little older than him and 
you know, and we sort of discipled him and everything. But I found it so hard to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, Ed, how you doing? Uh, <coughs> going to Peru. Uh, uh, we, you know, we got some TV. I, I couldn't get myself to do it. He would call me up from time to time and say, hey, Luis, you haven't called me up. Don't you have any TV going? I want to pay for it. I mean, you'd think you'd be calling every other week, you know, uh, but I didn't. And you know, sometimes we do that with the Lord. The Lord says, ask whatever you will, and I will do it so that the Son may be in glory to the Father. Ask in my name. And yet we're so slow to ask, you know. And you and I, even though we're old timers and we've been around the kingdom things for years and we've seen answers to prayer, how foolish we are that we don't learn to pray great prayers, you know, and ask the Lord and say, Lord, hear me on this one. Answer me. Glorify your name through my prayers and through my requests. And you know, it can be one of the greatest excitements of a person's life to be involved in intercessory prayer. There's a mystery to prayer. Prayer has several angles, as you well know. You know, there's worship, there's thanksgiving, there's requests, there's intercession for other people, there is praise for prayer. That can go under the whole theme of prayer. I remember ages ago, some of you have heard me say this, right here in this place, a fellow from South Africa was here, and he and I were teaching some, some summer, you know, week-long family conference, and uh, I was talking about prayer, and he came to me and he said, you know, Luis, in Africa, you've heard me say this, in Africa, he said, we, we say that God answers prayer four ways. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. Number two, no, I love you too much. Number three, yes, but not yet. Number four, yes, but differently from what you thought. That was really exciting. The Lord does answer prayer, and he will answer our prayer. It doesn't always mean that he says absolutely yes. He may say, no, I love you too much. That one I'm not going to give you. But you learn to discern the voice of the Lord. You learn by relationship with him. When you begin to pray, and almost like the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, you better give up on that one. It ain't going to happen. You know it, and I know it. And it's good to learn to relate to the Lord personally and intimately so that we can speak with authority, pray with authority, and serve with authority. And with authority, what time was I supposed to close? Quarter till. Thank you. One minute. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Great help you are. Yeah. Yeah. I love you anyway. Yeah. And then the, the Lord Jesus says over here, obey my great commands. And you know, that's a challenge. Obeying the great commands. Well, the great ones, because number one, we all know is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As I have loved you, love one another. That's one of the big ones. The second one that's a big one is be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. That's a big commandment. The third one is go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everybody. That's a challenging commandment. How can I be part of reaching the whole world? By supportive prayer, by joyful prayer, by worship. But you know, the thing that I must close with is this. It can all be done by the power of the blessed Holy Spirit of God. And you know, brothers and sisters, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. Because generally through media, communications, and just general talk about religion, 
The tendency is do good deeds and you'll be a happy Christian. Uh, just do the, yeah, do, do, do. Yes, we do. But as a result of what we trust the Lord for, not as a way of commending ourselves to the Lord. I read a little article. I will take a few more moments than Dave allows me. But uh, I read a, a magazine article. I've got it right here. And uh, this fellow is a very gifted man. I won't mention his name. But the article says, nothing to fear. And the subtitle says this, are you feeling bored with your Christian life? Author and activist so-and-so says that fighting injustice is the answer. Let me read the subtitle again. Are you feeling bored with your Christian life? This author and activist says, fighting injustice is the answer. No. Yes, we fight injustice any way that we feel we should and so on. Then he goes on to explain that he thinks if you're bored, one of the greatest things you can do is go to certain countries, I won't mention the ones he mentions because we don't want to give him for, to try and put in jail the perpetrators of sexual exploitation, sexual slavery, and other abuses of young women. Now, that is a marvelous, noble calling. If the Lord calls you to save girls or boys from corruption and immorality and prostitution, do it. But if you think that that will take away the boredom from your Christian life, you'll be sorely disappointed. You'll be back in six months or a year or two because the joy of the Christian life is not based on what we do, though it brings its own joys. The joy of the Christian life is relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. I need a whole session on that, but I'm going to leave it at that. But you know what it says in Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Hey, listen to this one. Don't fall asleep. Coffee's coming. But this is a heavy one. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? Now think about it. Don't look at yourself or you'll be depressed. But... Think about it for a second. This body is the temple of the living God. Yes? yes? It's in the book. And he says, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to God. That. And in chapter 3, the apostle says, you are the temple of God. If anybody destroys God's temple, listen to each word, God will destroy him because God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. St. Peter says, God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands, but he does dwell in his people. And you know, think of it, you old fellows, young ones, you too, uh, and all of us, old or youngish, to think that you and I are the temples of the living God. If you are bored with your Christian life, you better settle it with the Lord himself. Don't run off to Thailand to try and get girls out of the life. Yes, do it, but don't think that that's going to do it. The joy comes from the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit living in us. And to recognize when I get up in the morning, 
I am the temple of the living God. Who would have thought? Uh And it really dwells in me. What an unusual, wonderful thing that is. And you know, the joy of the Christian life is knowing it is not I, as St. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, the famous verse, it revolutionized my life. When I really understood that it wasn't a figure of speech when the Bible says, I stand at your door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. It's not a figure of speech. I used to think it was a figure of speech. When I was young, I would tell boys and girls on the streets of Argentina, hey kids, you know, Jesus is alive and he ascended to heaven and he wants to come into your heart. I used to think it's a way of explaining it. And then I realized, no, 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 no. It is literally true that the Holy Spirit came into my life the day I opened my heart to Christ. In my case, at age 12, And I became the temple of the living God. And brothers and sisters, every one of you here this morning who has given your life to Christ, you, yes, you, and not just you, your spirit, but even your body is the temple of God. And it is sacred. And therefore, our life is not to be just wasted away, vegetating, and just letting it happen, but rather proactively in the presence of the living God to say, Lord, You do live in me, and I know it, and I love you for it. Thank you. Now, show me what, even in these last years of my life, I can do for the glory of your name, for the good of those who are lost. Yes, and I rejoice in you. So, we finish with this. You are the temple of the living God. If you've lost your joy in the Lord, spend a little time in one of the woods around here and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for forgetting that you are my Savior and my Lord, and you indwell me by the Holy Spirit. I don't want to waste my last years of my life just killing time till you take me home. I want to be fruitful and joyful in you and then to be used of you by the Holy Spirit for the good of people who need you. So that's the message this morning. And I pray that you will go home, or home, no, don't go home yet. Uh, (laughs) go, Go under a tree here at Mount Hermon and spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, Just remind me once again of the reality of your presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, that I'm yours, and that you're going to use me in some great way. So, dream great dreams. The young see visions, the old dream dreams. But not wasted dreams, real, fruitful, God-honoring dreams. Pray great prayers. Take advantage of all those hours that we have. There's great power. In a sense, when you learn to pray intercessory for somebody else, it's like you were there. In the spirit, you are there. You pray for somebody in Egypt. You pray for somebody in China. You pray for somebody in California. Yeah, you, you, you are there in the spirit in prayer. And then obey my great commands. Whatever the spirit tells you to do, do it. That is what the Virgin Mary said. Not Nike, the Virgin Mary. Do it. Just do it. That's what the, the Virgin told us. Nike stole it from the Virgin Mary. Yeah. So... Let's pray. Uh, You're going to lead in prayer? Yeah, you better come, Dave.